Lord, we, uh, we need to hear from you now. Uh, thank you for this song that we find in the book of Psalms that is a chorus of hope. Lord, we all need rest in our hearts. And though our circumstances be different, we need to quiet our hearts in you today. Will you help us to see that? Will you help us to know how to do that? And will you, by your grace, bring it to pass even in our own souls for your glory? In Christ's name, amen. Headline in U.S. News and World Report, about this time last year by author David Levine with this headline, Why Are the Holidays So Stressful? You guys look tired. Are you okay? See, this is, this is true. This is true. Uh, l- listen to Mr. Levine here. Tis the season to be jolly, he writes. So why are so many of us unhappy during what is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year? That's a good question, isn't it? He writes, uh, in a word, stress. According to a survey by the American Psychological Association, 38% of people said their stress level increases during the holidays. In another survey by the investment firm Principal Financial Group, it revealed that 53% of people feel financially stressed by holiday spending, even though more than half of those 1,000 people that responded to the survey had created spending budgets. Can I ask you, are you experiencing holiday stress today? It is a stressful time uh, as shoppers rush home with their treasures and you're in three miles of traffic behind them. Uh, shopping is stressful, finances are stressful, uh, extra pressures of decorating and parties and, and the like, and we all come to understand something of that. But, you know, as, as I've uh, walked through the holidays for a number of years, and, and maybe you have too, you realize that those aren't, those aren't the hardest parts of this season. The hardest parts of this season are often memories that are stirred up because of this time. I, I remember... I remember the first time uh, in years um, going back home and uh, gathering with family, and one of my grandparents was not at the table. And you have stories like that too. Uh, maybe it's a loved one that passed away. Maybe they passed away during the season, and, and you're, you're feeling those memories and emotions stirred up as a result of the season. Uh, maybe it's not so much memories. Maybe it's a reminder of broken relationships. You know, we all are, many of us are going to have family and friends in town, and, and uh, maybe, maybe some people are coming to town, and uh, you're not okay with them, and they're not okay with you. There, there's a brokenness in your relationship, and that, that puts stress and turmoil as you anticipate seeing that person and, and just being awkward. Uh, or or maybe, maybe it's that you want to see somebody this season, but they don't want to see you. And the pain of this season is a pain of a broken relationship that remains unrestored. Uh, there are all sorts of things that, that float to the surface. Um, you know, maybe it's not the holidays in particular. Maybe it's just normal life. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're dealing with medical issues. Maybe you're dealing with other broken relationships. Maybe just, maybe just the brokenness of this world is heavy on your heart today. Overbusy, overwhelmed overstressed. I've got really good news. (laughs) There's rest in this text. There's real, objective, not not Hallmark greeting card rest, not not we're singing carols rest, but a true rest for all of our souls as we come to God, the giver of a quiet heart. Uh, So this, the title of the message today is called Rest for the Weary, Psalm 62. This is a song that brings quiet in the midst of the stress of your life and my life. I mentioned uh, as we look at it again in Psalm 62, uh, this is a psalm of David. We have a historic reference there that, that gives us the authorship there. And you also notice according to the, uh, to the uh, Jeduthun, uh, I confess as a, as a young Christian, I, I thought that that was like you know, a Gibson Les Paul or you know, some instrument, but uh, actually it's a man's name. And if you uh, just just write this down, Psalm 39, there's another reference there also. And uh, this is a man who was uh, a musical director in the congregation. And so maybe maybe David really liked his arrangement of his song. And so he said, hey, talk to this guy when it comes to playing the tune. 
but whatever the case, we, we know that the, there's a reference there to a musical director. Now, now speaking of music, this is where we, we have to really start off, before we even get to the text, remembering something important about Psalm 62. Okay, you ready? R- write this down. It's a psalm. Psalm 62 is a psalm, which means it's a song, S-O-N-G, which means there was music that accompanied this. There, there were instruments. There were parts. Uh, there may have been harmonies and other things. And, of course, we, we've lost all that. All we have is the lyrics. And, and that's unfortunate, right, because oftentimes we wonder, what did this even sound like? But every now and then there are things in the text itself that actually helps us to know what it must have been like. Now, you can't see this in your English Bible, but if you were to look at this in the, uh, the original form, the original language that this psalm comes to us, you would notice that in the 12 verses here, the majority of the verses start off with the same word or the same sound. It's the word, it's the word odd, not, not O-D-D, like this is weird, odd, A-D in Hebrew, and, it, and it, it's like this. It's the same song, and it's odd, odd, odd. Uh, And what that's doing, it's creating a rhythm to the song. It's creating a rhyme to the song. So you probably have favorite songs that I do that have rhythm and rhyme to them, right? And that that lead-off word there, that homonym, that repeated same sound over and over and over creates rhythm and creates um, uh, the the actual rhyme that goes with this. Now, you need to remember that because a few few verses later, something's going to happen to that rhythm, and and I'll I'll remind you that when we get there, okay? But just remember, there's a rhythm, there's a rhyme going on here. We don't know what it sounds like, but there was definitely uh, those musical things going on here, okay? We'll come back to that in a minute. And uh, so what we want to do, psalms are very difficult to outline, so uh, your sermon outline that you have there in your bulletin is going to look a little bit different. I'm going to try to navigate you through this. But remember, you know, trying to outline a song is not the purpose, right? Um, songs develop, songs take you places, and that's what we're going to see uh, with this psalm, okay? So the first uh, really point that we want to see that David is singing about here uh, is, we could just call it the state of his soul, the state of his soul. This is really, really interesting. Follow along with me as we look at verses 1 and 2 again. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now remember, all of these lines start off with the same word. And it's the word surely or, or only. So, so this David launches out of the starting block here. The, the song begins not by sort of building up to a crescendo. The, the song begins with, with, a, with a strong note, with a strong chord. He says, only upon God is my soul at rest. Only as it looks to God, David says, is my soul at rest. And again, right out of the gate, we see something that that probably many of us have given up on. Okay, And and if this is you, you need to hear this. I know it's the first point and we're just getting... you, You need to hear this. David is saying, there is rest for your soul that is possible. That's not a pipe dream. It's, it's not a Hallmark movie for the Christmas season. That real quietness, real rest, real peace in your heart in the midst of the overwhelming circumstances and struggles of this broken world is possible. But, but, it's possible where? Only in God. That, that, that's how the psalm starts. He says, it's only in the Lord that you get this. It's only in God. And that encourages us that, that this is possible. Now, now, notice with me, uh, my version says, my soul waits in silence for God. And, and you get the idea that, that you know, David is sitting around on, on his couch in, in the palace just, just waiting for God to do something. That, that, that's actually a, a misunderstanding of what David is saying here. The word wait is actually better translated, I am resting. I am calm. I am, my, my soul, that, that inner man, that, 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 that personal spiritual part of you, is chill, just calm, just resting in Him. In the midst of being overwhelmed with life, right? And you know this, because this is all of us. It's a schedule that's overwhelming. It's a never-ending to-do list. It's exhaustion. 
And that leads to sleeplessness. And that doesn't help because, you know, you're up all night. You're not feeling good now. And you're thinking about all these things you've got to get done and you're never going to get through them. And, and that leads to worrying and fretting and being anxious and you're playing stuff over and you're getting all worked up in your heart. And, and that can lead itself to hopelessness and depression and giving up, lacking motivation. And that's what this world is like, right? And David says, have I got a song for you? That, that thunderstorm, that, that tumultuous ocean in your soul can be calmed. And you can have rest. And you can have peace and quiet in that situation. It's possible to have a quiet heart in tumultuous circumstances. But it is only possible, David says, if you rest in the Lord. Now, now listen, to, listen to Calvin here, because I think Calvin captures the essence of what we're talking about. When we say a resting heart, a calm heart, and w- what do we mean? You're like, you're like, that happens when I sleep, right? No, no, no. He's talking about this is a daytime activity. Listen to Calvin. This rest, this silence that, that David is writing about. Calvin says this. It is that settled submission when the faithful rest in the promises of God and give place to his word and obey his rule. Now listen to this. And keep down every murmur of dissatisfaction in their hearts. I want that, don't you? That, that, that murmuring, that, that, that anxiety, that, that, that low level, you know, things aren't quite stable until I do. That, Calvin is saying, David is saying, God is saying, that can be calm. That murmuring stops. You say, well, how do we get that? Well, we get to verse 2, which is the chorus. And you'll notice the chorus is repeated twice, like we often do in songs, right? We repeat the chorus. Here's the chorus, verse 2. He only, and that's actually not strong enough. The, The language leaps off the page. Only he himself, only God himself is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly Shaken. Notice the language there. God is my rock. That pictures a solid, reliable place of security. Uh, he says God is his stronghold. That's a high place, a high point. Uh, when we were visiting uh, Israel, Lisa and I were in Israel a couple weeks ago, and uh, we went visited Masada, which is this, it's a fortress that uh, King Herod built on the top of this plateau, and you've got hundreds of feet down of cliff all around you it's this high place this place where the enemy can't get you and 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 david says that's what god is like i can go to god and i am in a place of safety and security notice also he says god is my rock and my salvation in fact the word salvation is used two times here and uh, now we got to talk about that word salvation because you know what salvation means, right? As, as Christians, we think salvation is uh, God forgives me in Christ, right? And I'm redeemed. And that's true. Salvation does mean that in the broadest sense of the term. But in this context, you need to see this. David's not talking about God is my salvation like he's the one who forgives me of my sin and, and redeems me. No, no, no. Here, salvation means he's the one that rescues me from the danger that I'm in right now. He's the one that helps me in whatever difficult circumstances that I'm in. Now, now what's interesting is, okay, David, you're saying God is the one that's going to help me. He's going to rescue me. How does God do that? How is God going to rescue you and me in the day when we're overwhelmed with life and, and, and stress and, and anxiety? How is he going to help us with that? Well, would you notice with me that the psalm does not end like this? And so God destroyed all David's enemies and lived happily ever after. That's not how it ends. Which tells us we have, we've got we've to adjust our thinking because I think that often when we pray for God to help us, that's how we're expecting him to answer, right? Lord's gonna, he's going uh, to restore relationships with the broken people. He's going to fix our financial problems. He's going to cure my cancer, and I'm going to live happily ever after. But did you know that's often not how God rescues us? Watch how he rescues us. Look back at the text. How does he rescue him? He says, look at the end of the chorus, I shall not be greatly shaken. That's how God rescues you. 
Say, I missed it, Keith. Tell me. Here's, here's how God works. When you're stressed, when you're overwhelmed, when you're struggling with life and difficulty and relationships and all these sorts of things, God is going to rescue you not by fixing all your circumstances, but by giving you grace to have a calm, peaceful heart in spite of those circumstances. Do you see that? That's better, isn't it? And you know this because when anybody gets better circumstances, they have a happy heart, right? You, you don't need the gospel. You don't need Jesus to do that because anybody, when life gets better, goes, oh, I'm having a great time. No, no, no. But God offers you something better. God says, I will give you grace to have a calm heart when there is no explanation in your circumstances for that quietness. And you know what that does? That highlights your God. That makes him look real. That shows his hand in a circumstance that is unexplainable as to why you're okay, you're calm, you're at peace, you're rest. And it's not from your circumstances. It's it's because your God has done something miraculous in your heart. God enables David to be at peace. That's what happens here. To have a quiet, restful, trusting heart in the midst of the chaos, the stress, and the danger and turmoil of of his circumstances. And it could be, you need to get this. It could be that the reason you feel like God is not answering your prayers to help you in your struggle is you're expecting him to fix the circumstances. And what he wants to do is give you grace to have a quiet heart, though those circumstances don't change. So think about that, okay? That's how God often rescues us. That's often how he helps us, okay? So notice the first thing here, the state of his soul. David is at a, has a calm heart in the midst of circumstances. Now, speaking of his circumstances, we might be tempted to think, okay, David, um, maybe you're overblowing your circumstance. Maybe you're exaggerating a little bit. And really, this this quiet heart thing is not as dramatic as you might be saying. Well, look at verses 3 and 4, because he tells us about the challenge of his circumstances. Verse 3, How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? Surely they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. So we might be tempted in hearing how calm David is, we might be tempted to think that David's circumstances may not be all bad. And that's why this verse is here. In fact, you might rather relate to David, right? You, you might say, you know what, when my life is, is going well, I've had peace with God. But see, that, that's the my life is going well peace. That's not the God is working in the midst of hard circumstances peace. And there's a huge difference. You say, what's, what's actually going on in David's circumstances here? Well, look at what he says. Murder, intentional deceit by people close to him, cursing disguised as blessing, the intentional effort to ruin him, destroy him. The text says to to tear him down from his high position. He's the king of Israel. Someone's trying to overturn his throne. And we wonder, who would do that? Well, we, we can't be certain, but there's an event in David's life that sure goes with what this psalm is describing. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 15 if you want to look it up later on. It's the time where David's own adult son has plotted and is carrying out the murder of his own father, King David, in an effort not just to take his throne, but to turn the whole nation against David so that Absalom, his son, can rule in his place. Can you imagine your own adult child seeking not to just destroy your life, but to literally to kill you and ruin every relationship you have with anybody important to you in your life? That's what's going on here. That, that's, that's the midst of his challenges here. This is, this is amazing. This is serious, life-threatening, even criminal situations. And notice, they delight in falsehood, the text says. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. They're playing games with him. They're manipulating him. We have a word for that today. We call it emotional abuse. They're playing games. They're they're, uh, manipulating and, and being deceitful. 
And it's in these, look at this, it's in these overwhelming and difficult circumstances that David shares that the, that the song that he's writing heightens the contrast, right? It helps us to be even more amazed that his soul is quiet. How do you do that? Well, that's the point of the song. Do you, do you want to know that? Now, I want you to notice here, before we move on, who is David speaking to? Because in the first two verses, he's talking about, my soul waits in silence for God, he only is my rock. In verse 3, the language changes, and he says this, how long will you assail a man? Now, who's he talking to? At first glance, you think, is he talking to God? He's not talking to God. We know that because the you is plural. It's you guys. It's you all, right? He's talking to a group of people. And we're going, well, who is this? Who's he talking to? That's your cue. You can talk. Who's he talking to? His enemies. This is interesting. He's having a sort of an imaginary conversation with with his enemies and his circumstances. Right? And he's he's saying, how long are you going to do this? How long are you going to afflict me? You're going to kick me when I'm down like like a tottering fence, right? You know, the the fence is all but blown over and you're you're just going to kick it the last little bit. How long are you going to do this? Now, be honest with me. Uh, you do this too, and so do I. When we're struggling, we engage in imaginary conversations with the people and circumstances that are our trouble. Right? You do that. I do that. We lay at lake at night replaying stuff, don't we? Okay, t- uh, uh, time for truth. Okay, we're all friends here, right? We can talk honestly. You yell at the ref when he makes a bad call for your team. You do that. <laughs> Now, he's on your TV, and you're still yelling at him. You know, he's a thousand miles away. He, he doesn't know you from anybody. You're still yelling at him, right? You do that. That's what we do, right? You, you have an imaginary conversation in your mind at aisle, uh, you know, checkout number three at HEB when that lady in front of you is like in slow motion. It's like the Matrix. You know, she's in slow motion, you know? And after all that, she gets out her checkbook. Of course, she's going to write a check, right? That's just how it's going to go. Um. I admit this, and maybe you do too. Do you verbally abuse the Crescent train? Do you do that? I do that. Um, and you know, more serious stuff, we, we rehearse and rehearse and rehearse for hours in the night how we should have responded to that person that hurt us and what to say and what to do now. We, 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 we cry out for justice when we at our at our Fox News app, right? We're crying out for justice at our app when we're reading about another murder, another school shooting, another tragedy, another child that's taken advantage of and, and done horrible things to. And we do that, right? We, we we cry out to nobody sometimes and say, How long is this gonna go on before it stops? As you struggle with your own challenges, you call out to anyone who will listen. How long will I have to endure this? You see, these are real, painful, chronic, and dangerous situations. And right at the point where, like, the song does something. Look in your Bible. What's the last word? It's off to the right. You know what that means? All the instruments stop. All the rhythm stops. And everybody pauses to meditate on that point. You see what the psalm has done? It said, rest, calm. In the midst of horrible circumstances, the most overwhelming circumstances. And we're to sit there and go, really, that's possible? Brothers and sisters, this is great news. Whatever your affliction, God is saying, you can have rest in your soul. Now, watch this. He's going to tell us how we get there. Okay? This is how we get there. How do you have that quiet heart? You think, I can't possibly have a quiet heart in my circumstances. Well, let's watch how we can get there. Look at the third thing, the habits of his heart. Verse 5, my soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in 
God. Now, now remember the last verse. The last verse, he's having imaginary conversations about his afflictors and his circumstances. He's crying out to anybody. They're not in the room. And he's just crying out for relief. And then he catches himself and we see that's not what brings quietness. What brings quietness is when he stops focusing on his circumstances and he starts focusing on his own soul. Look at what he says here. We have to replace a focus on our circumstances with a commanding of our soul to be quiet in God. That's what he does in verse 5. Listen, I'll read it to, and I'll, I'll bring out a little bit of the emphasis in the Hebrew. He says, surely, soul, be quiet in God. He says, sure, now, soul, rest in God. He, he's commanding his own soul. He has replaced, listen, he has replaced the commanding of his circumstances with the commanding of his soul to rest in God. And that's where things start to change, okay? Now, this verse is similar to verse 1, but here's the difference. In verse 1, he is resting in God, right? And things are good. In verse 5, he's not resting in God, but he needs to, so he starts commanding his soul to actually rest in him. You say, wait, Dave, that's like, that's like a few verses. What happened, man? Well, he's just like us, isn't he? Right? You know that. You, you, you got a moment where you're honest to goodness. You are, you are resting in your heart in the Lord. And three seconds later, you're like, ah! Right? Well, welcome. Meet King David. A man just like us. Why is it? This is a, why is it that it's so hard, even in those moments when we have a quiet heart, to stay there? And the answer is, because we are not doing what verse 5 says to do. We're not commanding our soul to rest in God. See, see, resting in God is not a one-time state to achieve, but a frame of heart to continually pursue. You got that? It's, an, it's something you're always working on. In fact, that's the irony of this. <laughs> I love this. We must constantly work at resting. Right? We have to constantly work at resting. That's what he's saying. Um. You say, how do we do that? Well, look what's up. There's our chorus again. The chorus is the key here. We're, we're, we're commanding our soul. We're taking our soul by the neck and saying, you rest in God. And here's the chorus. Look at this. My hope is from Him. Notice that that's new from, from verse 2, right? It's a little bit different. It's, it's this positive expectation that this is, you know, biblical hope is, is not wishful thinking biblical hope is a confidence you have as you remember and believe the promises of god that's what hope is and he says that's my hope it's from him i believe his promises i'm confident in that he again calls rock notice the vocabulary he's my rock he's my salvation he's my stronghold that place of safety but i want you to see this you will never achieve rest even if you remember the character of God and the promises of God until you personalize those truths to your own experience. Look at what he does. It's not, there's hope in God, it's what? My hope is in him. Do you see how he personalizes it? It's not God is a rock, it's God is, say it, my rock, right? He personalizes it. It's not he's the salvation, he's my salvation. It's not he's any old stronghold, he's... That's what you have to do. You can't keep the character of God and the promises of God as some abstract truth in your life. You have to personalize it to your experience. And that's what he's doing here. We must actively personalize God to our circumstances. Be careful with that. We're not changing his character. We're applying his character to our experiences. And what, and what this text is saying is we must preach and sing his character not abstractly or disassociated in some sort of you know, theoretical way, but we must preach and sing his character applied to our own unique struggles. It's in our struggles that he works, and he is sufficient for your and my situation. Now, um, it's essential that we personalize our theology, and maybe our problem is we're claiming truths about God but we're keeping them out here, and we need to bring them in here. Okay. Now, how often do you have to preach to yourself? Is this like you know a one-week 
uh, one day a week kind of thing. You know, you just, you're, you're going to preach to yourself on Sunday, right? And then look back at the text. How often do you have to preach to yourself and personalize theology to yourself in your circumstances? Answer until you move. Do you see that? Look what he says. He says, my hope is from God, my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. And he gets to the end of the verse, and what does he say? He says, uh, the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. You do not stop preaching until you can honestly say, my refuge is God. I've moved out of that place, wherever I'm hanging on to, and I can honestly say I am residing. My residence, my spiritual address is on the refuge that is God. You don't stop preaching until you move. You command your soul until it arrives safely in the refuge that is God himself. And you do not stop preaching until you say, I'm safe in God now. You didn't think you were a preacher, did you? You are. We all are. Now, (laughs) remember the rhythm? Remember the repetition of odd, 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 odd. It creates the beat. It creates the, the melody, the, the, the rhyming of the song, okay? So I, I am a kindergarten drummer, okay? But, so let's say, it's, let's say it's like that, okay? Now here's what the psalm does. It, it, the, 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 the rhythm signature changes. And in verse 8, something changes. And if you were listening to this, if you were singing this, you'd go, because everything musically changes. And that points to, this is, this is awesome, that points to the climax of the psalm. The actual change illustrated by how the lyrics are put together, the rhythm, the, the rhyme of the song changes going into verse 8 because verse 8 is the climax, okay? So let's see what it is. It's the plea of his people. It's the plea of his people. Look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Do you see, David? He is so excited about what he's learning. He is overwhelmed. He's got to find a microphone. I mean, he's got to go find a megaphone. You know, he's pulling people off the street saying, People, you can trust in God and rest in him. You say, How do you know? when you've arrived at a place where you are really trusting in and resting in God as your refuge? How do you know? Answer, when you can't wait to tell other people about it. You know how it goes, right? A a family member, a friend calls you up, texts you, you you see him, they're like, oh, hey, I got this trial going on. How do you react to that? How we react to that situation tells us what we're resting in. If you're like, oh, we need to Google it, you're not resting in God. I got this great doctor. You're not resting in God. You know, oh, I'm, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. You know, my thoughts and prayers are with you. You're not resting in God. But if what comes out of your soul in that moment is you can hope in God, you can find rest for your affliction in Him, then that says you're there. You're living there. We want to stay there. That's what we need to do. He says, at all times, and notice, and notice this, we don't like talk to people one appointment a week, right? He says, at all times, we need to be trusting in God and resting in Him. This is not a Sunday thing. This is not a Wednesday night thing. We are to trust God at all times. He says, pour out your heart. Pour out your heart, O people. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I thought I was supposed to be quiet. What's this pouring out your heart thing? It's a sequence, right? The Bible has a sequence. You pour out your heart to God and then you rest and trust Him. Right? You cast all your anxiety on Him and then you remember what? He's going to care for you. You you put off your anxiety and with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you present your request to God and then what? You enjoy the peace of God which surpasses understanding. See, you, you pour and then you rest. And that's the sequence. You rest in God after you pour out your heart. And this is amazing. This, the reason this is the climax, right? The reason this is where the song goes and the music changes, the rhythm changes, the rhyme changes, is I think this is one of the most profound parts of this whole song, okay? This business of resting in God and knowing Him as our refuge, you ready for this? Is not an individual endeavor, but a community project. David doesn't say, okay, I'm resting and I'm going to bed now. He says, I'm going to go find somebody and tell them. 
Because it's a community thing. It's a, it's a corporate thing. And, and I think that's why this song is in the congregational hymn book of the nation of Israel. Why did this get put here? Because this is a truth. This is a process that is meant to be pursued corporately in the family of God. That's why it's here. And, and, and that, that's so important. That, that, that trusting in Him at all times, O people, God is a refuge for us, is a refrain for the whole people of God, not just individual Christians. Now, this is, this is really, really quite interesting. Could it be that you lack a trusting, quiet heart today in your circumstances because you're trying to rest in God by yourself? and not in the people of God. right? You're trying to approach this like a Lone Ranger Christian when God says it takes the body of Christ to, to get here. And you know how that is, right? When, when, you're, when you're stressed, when you're suffering, when you're in sickness, when you're in chronic situations, so often, what does that do? It drives us to isolation, doesn't it? We, we pull back from relationships, we pull back from, from church, from family, from people, and, and, and we kind of just come in on ourselves. And, and, and that's why this is so important. That this psalm is saying that is going to destroy you because peace and rest in your heart comes about in community, not by pursuing things individually. And, and you, know, you know how we do this? You know how we do this? We sing together. That's why we sing together. We, we, we do this because in the corporate singing of God, these promises, and maybe even this psalm, we, we find a path to the peace and rest that our souls need. We sing together songs that call us all to trust in God and quiet our hearts in Him and make Him our refuge. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I can stay at home and I can watch a John Piper or John MacArthur sermon, which is way better than listening to me. I know that. And I'll even, I'll even sing along. Why can't I do that? The answer is, if you do that, you will probably die with a noisy heart. You will not find a resting, peaceful, tranquil heart outside of the community of faith. I had a professor in seminary that used to say, regarding the Christian life, that lone rangers are dead rangers, spiritually speaking. And he's right. Okay, The divine blueprint for a quiet heart requires the collective singing of the people of God about the promises of God as we call one another to trust in God and rest in Him. And the, the, the reason for the abrupt musical change is because this is the point that we would reflect on this. God designed a community of faith who would sing to one another the character and promises and then call one another to trust in and rest in Him. Listen, a collective, reflexive pursuit of worship is an essential ingredient of a quiet heart. Okay? You with with me? All right, let's look at the next thing. Oh, that's the wrong button. Let's try that. There you go. Let's look at, fifthly, the dangerous deceptions. The dangerous deceptions. So so let's let's pull the car over for a minute here, okay? Um, We have seen that in the midst of overwhelmingly difficult circumstances, that David, in the community of faith, says you can have a quiet heart. You can be restful, though there is a, you know, level five hurricane going through your town or whatever, okay? You, You can have a quiet soul. But we all know, because we're fallen that even though we know that, that doesn't mean we pursue quietness like that, do we? And so this next verse is designed to warn us about dangerous counterfeits. Uh, uh, other ways that promise peace but don't deliver. Okay, look at verse 9. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than breath. So do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. And if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Okay, so so, so think about this. If a collective pursuit of trusting God and resting in Him is what we should do in our trials, we also need to recognize that there are deadly alternatives. And that's what these verses are all about. In these verses we see, and you know this, 
when you're struggling and when I'm struggling, we are more spiritually vulnerable than usual, aren't we? You know that. When you're, when you're struggling, when I'm struggling, we are vulnerable. And in our, in our fallenness, here's what we do. We look for a human solution to a problem only God can fix. We look to a human solution for a problem that only God can fix. And that's what this verse is designed to warn us. You can see he's going to give us three human solutions that we don't want to do to find rest. Trust in people, trust in godly solutions, trust in riches. You see that? These are, listen, these are false saviors that tempt us with a counterfeit quietness. You see? These are false saviors. These are false refuges that tempt us with a counterfeit quietness that can't deliver. Okay? You see the first one, trusting in people. Look what he says there. He says, um, men of low degree are only vanity. Men of rank are a lie. He's used two phrases there to say, people everywhere are vain. That's that word from Ecclesiastes, Havel. It's, it's It's the steam off your cup of coffee, right? It's there and it's gone. If you put your trust in people... By the time, what happens when you open your Starbucks cup that you had this morning and it's hot, you see the steam come up, you try to grab that steam, what happens? It's gone before your hand gets there. David says, that's what trusting in people for rest in your soul is like. As soon as you've reached out, it's failed, it's gone. So we can't trust in people. That uh, We're grateful for people, right? Relationships are a means of God's grace often. But listen, we cannot trust in people finally and totally for a stability, listen, for a stability that only God can give you. People cannot provide a stable enough foundation for you to rest your life upon. Only God can do that. So we don't do that, right? He says, uh, men are a lie. And that's not saying all men are liars. Here's what he's saying. When we believe that a person can do what only God can do, we are deceived by a lie. We're, we're lying to ourselves, And you know, you've done that. I've done that. We see how that goes. So in our fallenness, we don't want to trust the false refuge of people. That's a counterfeit, counterfeit quietness. Also, he says here, don't trust in ungodly solutions. Look what he says there. He says, do not trust in oppression and do not vainly hope in robbery. You say, what are those? Those are ungodly ways that we try to receive quietness, right? We think we can go, you know, if we go rob a bank, we get money, then we'll be okay, or to go pursue this ungodly thing. And you know this, you know this. When you're desperate for a solution, you will entertain things that you would never, ever otherwise entertain. You will justify. You will make the Bible fit what you want to do. You'll even go find some people that agree with you. To, 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 to make you feel better about the ungodly thing you want to do that you're deceived in thinking will solve your problem. Don't do that. Don't trust in ungodly solutions. Thirdly, don't trust in riches. The, the end of that verse says, even if your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Why? Because your money, uh, Proverbs says, as soon as you reach out for it, it's gone. It, it takes wings and it flies away. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 uh, or 6, no one can serve two masters. Money can't be a master competing with Jesus. You hate the one, you love the other, you're devoted to the one, you despise the other. He says you cannot serve God and your money. You can't do it. it. Can money be a gift of God that accomplishes wonderful things? Sure it can. It cannot be the foundation of your hope and your rest and your quietness. And you know, there are, there are amazingly rich people in this world that are absolutely miserable. And they would give all of their riches away for a moment of quietness that we're talking about here. I got some good news for you. You know how much this quietness in God thing costs? It's free. It's free. So we don't trust in people. We don't trust in ungodly solutions. We don't trust in our riches. Can I just ask you, what false refuges are you turning to instead of God for peace in your life? Do you know, can you, can you identify, this is not a public group event, so call, you know, we're okay. Uh, can you identify the false saviors that you're pursuing that will only bring you a counterfeit quietness? Do you, do you know, in our culture, do you know what the number one way people in the world try to get this peace? You know what it is? Alcohol. It's a sad reality. 
Because alcohol is going to, that's why people do. All right, I want to calm down. I want to rest for a little bit. You know, they're looking to the bottle to do what only Jesus can do. And they know that. Solomon says, you get up in the morning and, you know, you're, you got vomit all over you and, you know, your, your people have beat you up and all that and you're going to go do it again. You're going to seek another drink. But people believe that lie over and over and over again. It gives a moment of peace and then they go right back to their misery. It's a false refuge. Alcohol, shopping. I don't mean to get too personal. I know Black Friday's coming here. But are, are you looking to retail therapy to do what only Jesus can do? Are you enjoying a moment of peace when you get something and you acquire something, you buy something, Amazon is your friend, Pinterest is your friend, you love that, and, and that, that's your go-to false refuge? Awesome, great, go to Amazon, go to Pinterest. You can't build your life on that. You, you can't find rest for your soul. Amazon can't fix your circumstances. Only God can give you peace. Research, okay, I'm not trying to get in your kitchen, but I'm going to say this. Are you a hyper-Googler? When you have a problem, you pull out your iPad and you're Googling the fire out of that thing for the next six hours. You're going to find a solution. You're going to find your research and you're going to get there, right? Is that what you're doing? Has Google replaced Jesus in your life? Anyway, we can go on and on. Do you know your false refuges? Know them. Repent of them. Turn away from them. You're, you're building your, your peace on sand that will not sustain you when the storms come. Okay, so don't do that. Finally, let's look at the power in the promises, okay? The power in the promises. Uh, David's going to wrap up here, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Let's talk about the power and the promises, okay? This little bit about once God has spoken twice, that, that's just a, a poetic thing they did back then to say, what I'm about to tell you is true. Like, underline it, highlight it, start. It's true, okay? Fa- and it's emphasizing here what? The faithfulness and reliability of what David's about to say. And, and what he says here, I, I know that if you and I were writing a song this is how all Christian songs end, right? We, we repeat the chorus 12 times. But that's not what he does. You know what he's going to do? He's going to leave the last little stanza here to go deep theologically. He is going to leave us with three truths about God, a trifecta of theology. Because he wants who God is resonating in our ears as the instruments come to a conclusion of this song, okay? Look at the theology he gives here. I'll put them up here. The first thing he says is power belongs to God. The second thing he says is loving kindness is his. The third thing he says is he rewards according to his works. What's that? That's omnipotence, that's faithful mercy, and that's justice. Now, why would David want to end a song highlighting the rest that we can have, the quietness of heart we can have by going theological on us? Well, here's why. Um, So many of our struggles to have a quiet, resting, peaceful, trusting, tranquil, silent cart is that we're trying to control things we can't control. Right? I'll put my hand up. You're trying to control things. I'm trying to control things that, that we can't control. And that's why he says, who does power belong to? To him. But listen, God has not given the Christian a control panel for the universe. God has that control panel. He's behind the curtain, working all things after the counsel of his will. Our job is to not to look to try to control and manipulate all those circumstances. That's God's job. He says, it's my panel. You trust me. I know what I'm doing, God says. Will you believe that I have your best interests at mind? Will you believe that I'm good? Will you believe that I have all power? I can do anything I want, but I know what's best, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing in your life right now. So David says, underline it, highlight it, this is truth. God has all power. Will you trust his omnipotence? He also says God is full of loving kindness. That's that wonderful Hebrew word that means faithful mercy. It's, it's, like, it's like he took the word for faith and the word for mercy and they glue them together. That's what it is. It's faithful mercy, emphasizing that we can trust him. He will not let us down. This is not the one time that you need him and God's going to be away from the switch, right? He's there. He will help you. And not only is he faithful, he's full of mercy. 
What does Hebrews 4 say? You go to Jesus anytime as a faithful and sympathetic high priest, and you're going to get what? Jesus has two dispensers, sufficient grace and sufficient mercy, and he lavishes lavishes them upon you in your day of need. Look at the last thing. He rewards according to work. That's a reminder that God is just, right? He's going to bring everything, and here's why. How many of our struggles with this life are because we're perceiving injustice and nothing is happening about it? Right? You're, you're, you're yelling at your fax, uh, your Fox News app, or you're, you're all caught up about this, or this financial thing. This world. And, and guys, in this world, we have trouble. That's what Jesus said. But we don't have to be discouraged and fretting and anxious because Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I will write all things. That There will be a day, the Bible says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and, and God will write everything that's wrong. It's not our job to do that. It's our job to trust that God will do that someday. We can let go of all of this injustice and things that... that... Okay, now, I know what you're thinking. Why would David conclude with a theology lesson? Why? Because thinking rightly about God in your stress and overwhelming circumstances is the key to a restful heart. Thinking rightly about God in your overwhelming circumstances, in your stress, is the key to having a restful heart before God. Flip it around. Behind every moment when you lack a resting, quiet, peaceful heart, you will find a theology problem. right? You, you're believing things about God that just aren't true. And what are you doing? You're feeling what's true instead of believing what the Bible says is true. That's what we do, right? This just feels like God has abandoned me. It feels like God is rejecting me. It feels like God's out to get me. And I'm not reading my Bible saying those are all lies. And lies about God. When you feel God in your circumstances as a source of truth, that fuels your anxiety. What's the remedy? Theology, truth about God, personalized, sung, shared corporately, and launched out into life. I don't know if you've noticed, but this psalm is full of theology. Maybe our theology is the key to having a quiet heart. A song of personalized theology that we sing to one another in order to find and maintain a quiet heart. Um, do you know where this begins? Where does rest in your soul begin? Rest and peace and quietness in your heart does not begin circumstantially. It begins with what we read at the beginning of our service. Let me just read it to you again. It begins with an invitation. Here's the invitation. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, this psalm that has unfolded the possibility of rest, even in horrible circumstances, rests, quite literally, on a relationship with Jesus, doesn't it? It rests on you responding to an invitation for the Lord Jesus that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Listen to his promise. He says, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And I can't think of a better way to punctuate that than to come to the Lord's table, because that's what that's all about. Rest for your soul begins with a relationship with Jesus, and that relationship with Jesus that was accomplished on his cross is is what we're remembering in communion. Uh, So, gentlemen, you can come up here as we... Uh, transition to uh, share the Lord's table.